You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. Good morning, church family. Well, that was a good, hearty good morning. I like that a lot. You've got a good pastor. He's become a really good friend to me over the last year. As he just mentioned, we moved from the West Coast, and you're probably asking yourself, well, where in the West Coast? Because <clears throat> uh, the West Coast often does not have an awesome, an awesome reputation. Yes, I came from California. Yeah, what's up? Oh, children's minute. Kids, you can go. Kids, you can go. Give a round of applause for our kids. They're so patient. Wow. Wow, our kids are the same way at Fairfax Bible Church. Yeah, I came from California. And not just California, from the San Francisco Bay Area. Woo, I know, I know it, yeah. And in case you're skeptical, Jesus has a people in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, God's Word is powerful in the San Francisco Bay Area as well. And so my wife and I, we grew up there in actually uh, Sonoma County wine country. If you're familiar with that area, Santa Rosa, California was where we were born, or where we were raised. She was born there. I was actually born in eastern Ohio. So my family roots are here in the eastern time zone, Stoneville, Ohio, about, I don't know, three and a half, four hours west of here probably. Uh, I'm still getting familiar with this side of uh, the state here in Pennsylvania. Uh, but I'm so grateful to be here. I, my wife, Laura, so I, I, we've been married for 20 years. We've got three kids, Judah, who is uh, 19, Benjamin, who is uh, 17, and Alethea, who's 13. And so uh, it was a real challenge for them to move across the country and to leave all of their friends uh, there in, in California. But God has blessed us. Uh, it wasn't our intention necessarily that we felt like we needed to leave California because God, God wants people in California. Uh, he had people chosen by name in Corinth, and he told Paul, I want you to preach here because I got people that are mine, and they're going to be called by my name. And so it wasn't our goal to necessarily leave California, but, but the Lord was prompting us to move out beyond the walls where we were, and we started to pray. We started to fast. Have you ever been there before? Lord, I, I know you're leading us somewhere, but I don't know where. It was hard. It was really hard. We prayed. We got on our knees, and we asked the Lord, Lord, take us to a place where we can find community, family, and a passion for God's word, and a passion to see lost souls come to faith in Jesus. Because as we see in, in Luke, it, uh, God loves to throw parties when lost ones come home. And so uh, we wanted to be a part of his party of seeing lost people come to faith in Jesus. And we started thinking about, all right, San Francisco, there's lots of parts of the country that are very different than the San Francisco Bay Area. But we thought, where is a place that might have some diversity? And maybe, you know what, uh, we don't really love how expensive it is, but we might be able to handle that, you know. And, and maybe somewhere that may be kind of liberal too, because we're kind of used to that as well. And he said, I want to plant you in Washington, D.C. area. And so we're in Northern Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia. We've been there uh, about a year now. But one of the things that I, I didn't realize in coming to a great, wonderful church family like Fairfax Bible Church is that um, we also get to be a part of an awesome network, a network of churches, and you're a part of that. And so men like uh, Ben Miller and Dan Hammer and Nate Newell and others, they've just wrapped their arms around me and my family, and we just feel so welcome and so honored and privileged to be here. So, with that being said, let's take a look at God's Word here this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I invite you to turn in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. 
<clears throat> and as a habit of my own, I like to pray this simple prayer, Psalm 119, verse 18. I learned this from one of my mentors in college, and it goes like this, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, in July 1961, Vince Lombardi kicked off the first day of training camp for the Green Bay Packers football team. Now, the prior season had ended in a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. Ever heard of them? After blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. Now, when the players came in to start training camp, they expected to immediately begin where they left off and work on ways to advance their game and learn, you know, fancy trick plays and new plays to win the championship in this new, fresh season. When they sat down and began, however, Vince Lombardi held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. He then had everyone open their playbooks and start on page one, where they began to learn the basics, blocking, tackling, throwing, catching. That was clearly not what they expected as players who were at the top of their game. But to achieve their goal, they had to return back to the most fundamental aspects of the game. They knew the plays, but they needed to recall the purposes of the plays to execute the basics to be empowered so that they could win big. Now, Lombardi's hyper-focus on the basic purposes of the game allowed the Packers to win the NFL championship that season, 37 to nothing against the New York football giants. Vince Lombardi went on to win five NFL championships in seven years. He never coached a team with a losing season after that and never lost a playoff game again. This is a football it's how it started with the basics, the fundamentals, to know not just how to play the game, but what's the purpose of each and every single play, the purpose of each and every single movement, and of every, every single second of every single play in the game. Now, I know your, your pastor is beginning a series from First and Second Timothy, Second Timothy, right? Faithful and focused. Faithful and focused, and specifically just talking with him, just to, to think about as a church family for you to think about, what does it mean to live with purpose on the mission that Jesus has given to us to make disciples of all nations? Right here in Quarryville, right here in eastern Pennsylvania, right here on the east coast, and for me and where I'm at, northern Virginia in the Washington, D.C. area. To be faithful and focused, to be focused on that purpose that God has given to his people. 
Now, I love, I was just scanning your website and just kind of knowing that we share a, a common DNA and our churches share a common history together in many ways. We share common family values. We call them pursuits at our church. And hopefully, as you hear this, isn't, this isn't new to you, right? But we believe in passionate worship with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bold preaching with conviction, but yet with compassion, standing on what God has said in His Word, right? Fervent prayer, calling to God in desperation and calling to Him in, in prayer and, and courageous evangelism, right? Because it does take courage to speak good news to people who oftentimes do not want to hear it. Strategic church planting, right? Because the gospel doesn't preached in a vacuum. It's preached from people who are connected to strong and healthy churches. And then that final pursuit that we'll look at this morning, and I think you're going to be talking a lot about in the days to come, purposeful discipleship. Purposeful discipleship. This is a football, right? Now, we're going to see that the, the first believers in the book of Acts, they, they're, they're in the very early phases and stages of being a church, of being a community of Jesus. You could almost see the, the, uh, the Luke, that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he's, he's kind of showing his audience, specifically Theophilus, the, the man that he was writing to, but by extension, all who would read, look at the basics, look at the fundamentals, look at the purposes that the first believers were devoted to. But purposeful discipleship, and, and before I go any further, just to define, what do we mean by discipleship? It's guiding people to know, to love, to serve, and obey Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's to be helping them learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Purposeful discipleship. It's not merely an endeavor of human nature. It's not merely an endeavor of human will. It doesn't just merely come by our own strategies and, and thoughts and, and desires. No, to make disciples is something that's supernatural. Supernatural. It takes the power of God. It takes spiritual transformation. It takes heart renovation. It takes power. So the big idea I'd like to propose to you today from, from this passage is this, that the Lord displays His power among disciples who are devoted to His purposes. The Lord displays His power to save, to transform, to give that heart renovation and renewal, but He does it as disciples are devoted to His purposes, to His plans, to His desires, to His fundamentals, you could almost imagine our Lord Jesus looking at us and saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> well, He wouldn't say football, right? This is purposeful discipleship. Again, the big idea, the Lord displays His power among His disciples who are devoted to His purposes. We're going to see two purposes, though I'm sure you could see many more. We're going to focus on two purposes from this passage in Acts chapter 2 today. The first purpose is, the, uh, the, the, of, is this, excuse me. The disciples were devoted to worship. They were devoted to worshiping the Lord. Secondly, what we'll see is that these disciples were devoted to love. This purpose of loving one another. The fundamentals, the basics of having an environment where disciples can be made and grown to love, serve, obey, and worship King Jesus. So let's take a look at these together. 
Now, it says that they were, they were devoted. These, these disciples were devoting themselves. This, this word devoted means that they were attaching oneself or to be faithful to a person. And at times, this word is used even in a, a marriage relationship, that a spouse is devoted to another spouse. But this devotion also means that they were persistent in something. They were to be busily engaged in this. You see, for these early believers in Jesus, this way of life, these purposes, they became the consistent way of life for them. It was their basics. It was the fundamentals. And so we want to ask ourselves, as you, as you see these purposes with your own eyes and with your own ears this morning, consider, are these the fundamentals? Are these the purposes that we at Oak Hill Fellowship are devoted to? And I want to ask myself, is my church family, where I'm at, are we devoted to this at Fairfax Bible Church? Let's take a look at worship. How did the disciples worship the Lord? How were they devoted to that? Again, worship, just to define that for you, it means ascribing or attributing the honor and worth that's due to the Lord because of who He is and what He's done. Well, well, how did they do that? The first thing is that they listened. They listened. Verse 42 says, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This is significant. Jesus gave a commission to His disciples to the apostles. He says in Acts 1.8, in fact, if you turn one page over, you see it. He says, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to come down upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, what we believe in this religious stuff, in this stuff that we have in Scripture, it's not something that just was developed several hundred years later after Jesus. No, what we believe is rooted in the eyewitness accounts of men who saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who heard Jesus, and were commissioned by Jesus to teach and make disciples like you and me for generations to come. We base our faith in something that we have not seen, but we base our faith in something that 12 men saw. John says we, we touched him with our hands. We heard him with our ears. We, we saw him with our eyes. We handled this word of life. We are eyewitnesses to it. And so these early disciples, they devoted themselves to listening to the teaching of the apostles. Now, the apostles, they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. You've probably heard it before if you've been around church for a while. The Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples. And one way that you're going to do that is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So, on the one side, the apostles are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Teaching these followers of Jesus to observe all that he had commanded them. And they devoted themselves to it. They listened to it. They heard about who Jesus is and what He's done. And they learned how to respond. In fact, just a few verses before Peter is delivering this message of of the good news about Jesus, and those who heard in Jerusalem said, well, Peter, what shall we do? And he said, repent and believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hearing about who Jesus is and what He's done and how we ought to respond to that message of good news. And so, as they worshiped, the first thing they did is they listened. They listened. They listened. Now, I've been in many church services seating right where you are. And I have to tell you, there have been many times that I've found myself nodding off. I've walked away and I, you know, over lunch, I've had somebody ask me, what was that message about? I have no idea. And it's been convicting to my soul. 
And I'll tell you those moments when I ask the Lord, help me to have open ears to listen. And I'm busy and I'm trying to take notes and digest. And then to think, what, what can I do to have conversations about what I just heard over lunch or over coffee with someone or even just in my own meditation? Boy, I've seen how the Lord has just been transforming my heart and my mind. Did you come here today with an ear to listen? You know, as you're listening, even right now, it's a form of, of worship of worship, to devote yourself to that. Not only were they devoted to listening, they were devoted to gathering. It says they were devoted to the fellowship, the gathering. And it's, it's the word, you might have heard it before, koinonia, commonality. They had a shared reality. They had come from all kinds of different places all over the Roman Empire. Though they were Jews and they'd come back to worship, they were transformed by the message of the gospel of Jesus. But they had all kinds of different cultural backgrounds and many of them had different languages, but yet they were committed to being together because the common reality that they had superseded language, superseded cultural background. It was rooted in their reality that they believed in Jesus together. That's what it was all about, the fellowship. They were together because of what they had in common. Friends, I'll tell you today, we can be in church settings and we can see churches from across the street and across the road and across town and we think to ourselves, well, because of their denominational name in front of their name, we think that makes us different, that makes us different, that makes us different. But the early disciples, they were devoted to this. What do we have in common? Is it Jesus? And if it's Jesus, that's enough. That's enough. It's Jesus. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what cultural background or language you come from. Do you have Jesus in common? And if you've got that, that's enough. So they were committed to worshiping the Lord through listening. They were committed to worshiping the Lord through gathering together. You see, the Christian life, friend, can't be lived alone. I'm so grateful you're here today. I'm so grateful when I see God's people and when I get to come and be together in this setting here today because as we gather, we have the opportunity to be transformed by the power of Jesus. Devote yourself to gathering, to gathering. Not only that, they also devoted themselves to remembering. They remembered. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, they were breaking bread. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what in the world is he doing with this, right? Where does he get remembering from? But, but it says in verse 42 that they were breaking bread. And in verse 46, they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They, and in that, they were remembering something. You see meals in, in, in the Jewish way of life, but also Jesus, as he delivered this over and passed this over to his apostles, he said, I want you to do something. As you eat, I want you to remember the significance of what I've done for you. This is speaking of all kinds of meals, but it also focused on a very, very special meal that was a part of their broader meals together. Do you know what that meal is? Communion. It was a time when they took the Lord's Supper. It's the time when they took the bread and took the cup because Jesus said in, in Luke twenty two nineteen to 20, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You see, every time we, we take the meal, 
And you probably think to yourself, it's not much of a meal. No, it's not, right? As far as filling your belly, but you know what it does? It is a way that we come together and we take that bread and we take that cup together. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That, bo- that bread representing his body, which was given for you and for me. That, that cup representing the blood that was spilt for the remission of your sins and my sins. And so as we gather to eat, whenever we share fellowship together, you know, it's, it's funny to me that oftentimes church, uh, you know, Baptist churches, whatever you want to call it, are associated with potlucks. You know, and it, sometimes it can become a joke, right? But it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Why? Because when we share meals together, we are sharing that commonality and we're celebrating the fact that our God, the great giver and king of the universe, has provided food to enjoy. And then also in the midst of all those meals, we remember the meal, the bread and the wine representing the body and the blood that was given for us. In a book by Jeff Vanderstelt called Gospel Fluency, how the the gospel is lived out in the everyday stuff of life, he talks about this very thing, meals. And he says this, every meal for for the people of Jesus, it was an opportunity to remember, trust, and obey. Every meal was meant to be an act of remembrance and worship. All this is meant to point us to God's ultimate provision in Jesus He came to be God's ultimate provision for us. He is the bread of life that meets our deepest needs and satisfies our greatest longings. Every meal is meant to cause us to remember and worship Jesus. Now later, it's it's Father's Day. I got a brand new grill for Father's Day. I'm so excited. I left my old grill in California. I've been a year without a grill. Can't wait to go home and cook some meat on my grill. But I want to challenge you today, dads and families, remember not just how good the food tastes, but use it as a moment to remember that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and He's given His flesh as bread and His blood as the wine for us to enjoy and remember that He gives us eternal life. That's what these early disciples were doing. They were worshiping through listening. They were worshiping through gathering. They were worshiping through remembering. And then they were worshiping through praying. And it says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, was this a direct set of prayers that they had? Possibly. But we do know this. We see it throughout the book of Acts. One of the key hallmarks of the early church was that they called out to God in desperation and prayer. It's continued confession that they were completely dependent upon the Lord. This was a supernatural work, and they needed His supernatural power and guidance to accomplish the work. I love the prayer, Acts 4, 23-31. And it's specifically in verse 29. This is their prayer to the Lord after there were threats that were put on some of the apostles, and and they say this, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. Man, I love this prayer. While you stretch out your hand, (coughs) excuse me, to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says this, after they prayed that, they were finished praying, and the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boy, I love that. 
that God could actually move in such a way that he, he shakes the room? How does that happen? It happened because of prayer. They were getting on their knees and, and crying out. You know, friends, sometimes I, I feel a little bit ashamed. It's a little bit shameful to get, to get on your knees. It's a little bit humiliating. Oh, friends, there's nothing to be ashamed about. You're coming before your God. He sees how weak you are. And when you acknowledge it in your heart and even in your bodily posture, he says, yes, I can work through one who acknowledges me. And his power is put on display. And that's what happened. This is the response of this worshiping community, this purpose, this fundamental basic that they were devoted to in making disciples. First and foremost, they worship. What was the response? It was awe. It was fear, verse 43 says. It was reverence, not just amongst the believers, but it's believed that it was this awe that, that, that happened in the entire city as they watched this group of people worshiping, praying, gathering, remembering through meals, listening to the apostles' teaching, there was a sense that this community is not just another social club. This is not just another uh, group of people that are together for some sort of specific social justice cause. This is a group of people that are gathered together, and there is the power of God in their midst. And so as they're walking by, there's people, whether they were believers or not, like, wow, there's something really powerful inexplicable according to the laws of nature that is going on in the midst of this community. And the people were in awe. And they were in awe. They saw God's power on display as they committed themselves to His purposes. His purposes. I'm going to ask you something. When you came here today, did you anticipate some power from God as you gathered? Now, I... I have to confess, my, my parents were recovering Pentecostals when I was growing up as a kid. And my mentor, my pastor, he, he graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's as conservative as you can get, but he's also a recovering Pentecostal as well. And he said, Matthew, one thing I never wanted to lose was a fire and a passion for God to do something great. I want to preach and teach the Bible exactly how it says. I'm not going around looking for signs and wonders all the time, but I am anticipating that God wants to do something in my church and in my city and in my heart and in my family and in my community. Oh, friends, worshiping, anticipating God could do something right here in this church when we're devoted to His purposes that could have a transforming effect on Coryville and upon eastern Pennsylvania and could stretch all over the globe through you as you worship and anticipate his awesome power. I love in, in the movie The Incredibles. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I live not far from actually Pixar, Pixar headquarters, the, the uh, animation company, but I love a scene in, in the first Incredibles movie and Mr. Incredible is just getting kind of tired of the, the mundane every stuff of life because he's a superhero with superhero powers. And the little boy across the street is kind of realizing this family is not a normal family. There's something different about them. And he's on his little, his, his little uh, big wheel and Mr. Incredible comes home and he's just discouraged and he looks at the little boy and he says, well, what are you waiting for? And the little boy says, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. This little boy saw that there was something beyond the mundane and the everyday and the routine. He was anticipating something big. Don't get caught up in the ceremony and the ritual and the mundane. Oh, it's another small group gospel community, right? Another gospel community meeting. Oh, it's another potluck. Oh, it's another picnic. 
friends, come with an anticipation that if we're worshiping the Lord Jesus, something amazing could happen here today. This was their first purpose. This was the first fundamental, worship. But in the rest of the passage, it doesn't stop there. There's there's another purpose that they were devoted to. They were devoted to love. They were devoted to love. And that's kind of been the theme of our worship service today, right? Love, love of God and love for one another. Well, how did the disciples love one another? The first thing that we see in verse 44 is unity. They, they had all things together and they had all things in common. The fellowship in worshiping Jesus led them to share more than just a belief in common. No, now they were sharing everything in common. You see, when we realize, as, as Pastor Ben said earlier, hey, we, we aren't just like a family, we are a family. And we realize it's not just I share a belief in Jesus in common. I realize, wait a minute, if your sister and your brother, I'm called to share what I have with you as family. They had everything in common. They had this, this oneness, this unity. It's an all of life oneness. We may not agree on everything, but we are... I, I'll tell you, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I know we don't probably agree on our football teams, right? We don't have to agree on everything, but we are called to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3 says. This unity, it's, it's all of life, this oneness, this commonality. It includes my resources, my time, my possessions for one another. Why? Because we share Jesus and therefore we share all of life together. This unity then led to the next thing that they, the way they loved. It was through generosity. Verse 45, we see that. They, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this isn't some socialism, some forced sharing. No, this is generosity. This is willingness. This is volitionally sharing what I have when I see that you're in need and meeting your need. I I love, later on it describes that this generosity just continues to grow and grow. Acts 5.32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. There's the unity. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There's the generosity. Generosity flows out of oneness and unity because you realize it's not mine. It all belongs to Jesus and we're a part of His family and we've all got it together. Friends, one of the most beautiful demonstrations of the love and grace of Jesus in the local community is when those that are outside look and see they share everything. They're so generous. They're so kind. They're so loving. The, the, the early uh, commenters on the, uh, on the early church, they, they look down and say, they don't care about just their own poor, but they care about the unbelieving poor too, the non-Christian poor. Generosity comes out of oneness together, willfully, volitionally, generosity. And look at the result of that, the power of this generosity and unity. It says that there wasn't anybody that had any need any longer. And it wasn't because of some sort of social program or welfare or or anything like that or handouts. It was because the community cared for one another. The purpose of God was being manifested through their unity, their generosity, but also their consistency. Verse 46, it says, day by day, 
they were going into the temple, and they were going into each other's homes. They were not just saying that my faith in Jesus is something that I just do on Saturday or Sunday or just pick a day. It was in all of life, every single day of the week. Jesus deserves all my allegiance. He deserves all my devotion. Therefore, I'm living in this biblical community day by day. Now, I'm sure there were some of them that said, hey, I've got to go plow the field today, right? Okay, I can't meet that Bible study at this moment. But it was this, this concept, this idea, and this commitment to say, I'm for you. I am with you. We are together day by day by day consistently. One of the sad things that we've seen in in the church, and COVID certainly impacted. I'll tell you, COVID, I mean, it just hit us hard in California and the restrictions and all of the, the different things that, that went into that. It hit us hard, and it made it hard to gather together. And one of the sad things that happened through that is that people, followers of Jesus, even in our church community there, we started to see them so much less and less and less. They got used to being apart from one another. And all of a sudden, you get a phone call, Pastor Matthew, I'm hurting today. I'm discouraged. I feel so alone. I say, brother, sister, there's a cure for that. Come back. Come back. Be consistent. I think a statistic I was, I was reading not too long ago, it, it said this, that, that the most faithful evangelical follower of Jesus in the church attends church on average twice a month. Twice a month. That means that they're there 50% of the time. And that's some of the best attenders of worship service. And we wonder, why are we so ineffective? Why are we so powerless? Why are we so lonely? Why, do we, why are we so weak? Why are we not seeing disciples growing? Friends, this is a football. It comes back to consistency, being together. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. He exhorts the believers. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, one of the most beautiful things you could do is just show up. Just show up. Half the battle is won if you just show up. Now, my wife, thankfully right now, we, my wife and I, we, we tell our kids, we're leaving at this time, get yourselves dressed, get yourselves ready, and we expect you to be near the front door. We're going to leave together at a certain time. Now, I know for many of you moms and dads, and those of you that are guardians and caretakers of, of little ones, that is hard to do. And I want to applaud you. You showed up today. I used to lead kids ministry in California, and, and we had to instruct some of our our leaders that were there that would check some of the families in. And, you know, we'd have a service that would start at 9 and 11. And sometimes you'd see that family walk in like at like 9.50 or 11.50 or even 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock. We're talking like services two-thirds to three-quarters of the way done. And the temptation is, is like, why'd you even bother, right? Why'd you even bother? But we had to train ourselves to say, you know what? That, that's not in step with the gospel. You made it. You showed up. You showed the consistency despite all of the blown out diapers or whatever the cause was that, that kept you from getting here earlier. You made it. Consistency. Show up, friends. There's so many times I, I remember that, you know, we used to have a Sunday evening service in the church that I was a part of in California. And, oh man, in, in the fall it was so hard because I love football, right? Now, I know who wants to do that. I want to stay home and watch football. And my pastor had to challenge me and say, Matthew, you need to start being a part of the solution instead of part of the problem. 
You're forsaking meeting together. And it convicted my heart. And I started showing up. And even though in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, man, I'd much rather be home today. But I have to tell you, after so many times, I got back and I would come home and I'd look at my wife. I'd say, could you imagine if we missed that? Could you imagine if we missed that, that, that opportunity to sing together, to fellowship together, to hear God's word together? Oh, what a joyful time that was. And we would have missed out. It all starts with showing up, friends. Showing up consistently. Not only that, how did they love each other? Through mutuality. They were breaking bread in their homes. This wasn't a one-way street. They served one another back and forth. You see, the, the thing is, friends, often when we get in these relationships, you think, I have to make sure I'm getting my needs met. And then I'll go the extra way to, to try and make sure your needs are met. But see, what the gospel teaches us is that Jesus laid down his life for us, right? And so the cause in following Jesus, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and love one another, just as God in Christ has loved you and forgiven you. We take the initiative. We say, I'm here to meet your needs. And if you have the same commitment, guess what happens to me? I get my needs met too. It's this mutuality, but it starts with us saying, I'm here to meet the needs of others. And then finally, this love that was on display, it was visible. There was visibility. It says in verse 47 that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, this isn't the kind of, the kind of righteousness and love that's being put on display so that you receive your own glory. Jesus criticized the Pharisees sharply for this. But it is the kind of love that says, I want it to be on display so that people would see it and not give me glory, but give God glory. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house in the same way. Let your light Shine before others so that it may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As we live committed to this purpose of loving one another, it becomes visible so that a dark world, a sinful world, a rebellious world, a violent world, a hateful world would see and say, you know what? I don't agree with everything they say, but I cannot deny they love me. They love one another. This is what we're called to, friends. These purposes of worship and love toward one another that's put on display so that a world may see that we belong to Jesus. What was the response? The first response to the worship was awe. What happened here? We see it right at the end of verse 47. And the Lord... The Lord, now they didn't, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's amazing. Acts 2.41, we saw that 3,000 souls, what a revival, right? Could you imagine Pastor Ben out here and, and preaching to the whole county and 3,000 souls are added? I mean, you got this overflow room. We're talking about more than overflow room, right? We're going to have to be preaching out in the parking lot. 3,000 souls. Acts 4.4 says the number of men came to about 5,000 of those who believed at another time. Friends, there's no guarantee that we're going to get 3,000 or 5,000 souls. But I do believe God has people right here in this community 
that he says, I've chosen them. I can't wait for the love of Oak Hill Fellowship to be put on display that they may see it. And those people are going to be added to your family, to the family of Jesus, to my family too. We're family together. I believe there are people in Fairfax, in Fairfax County, in Washington, D.C., the greater area that God has chosen. And he's just waiting for us to put his love on display so that disciples would be made supernaturally by the power of the Lord. These early disciples devoted themselves to the Lord's purposes, which brings us back again to our big idea. The Lord displays His power among disciples who are devoted to His purposes. The first disciples, they didn't have all the bells and whistles. They didn't have all the new technology of a modern Western church like ours. They had no building. They had no seminaries. They had no systematic theologies, no social programs, no clever kids ministries or or youth ministries. They had no organizational strategies. They they didn't have concert-style worship events. They certainly didn't have any celebrity pastors. These guys were fishermen, right? All they had were two simple devotions, worshiping the Lord and loving one another. Yet God moved mightily in their midst. A community of believers who desire to be effective in the 21st century should take notes from the disciples of the first century. Church family, this is a football. No, it's, it's the Bible, but you understand what I mean, right? This is the basics, the fundamentals, the basic purposes that God has called us to so that we can be purposeful and powerful by the power of the Lord Jesus in our disciple making. It's not rocket science. God loves, and I believe He's waiting to work powerfully in disciples who remember and prioritize these two most important convictions, worshiping the Lord and loving one another. If we commit ourselves to these, we can be confident that we're living in the Lord's will and that we can anticipate His power and His grace and His love and His righteousness to grow us for His glory and for our joy. In closing, I just want to ask a question. I ask it as much for myself as I ask it for the church family at Fairfax Bible that I'm preaching to because we want to live out the faith beyond just Sunday. We want to live it Monday through Saturday, right? So I try and ask this question, what does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Monday? You're going to go home here in a little bit and maybe some of you have Father's Day celebrations and all kinds of things going on. I'm going home to grill on my new grill, okay? I have that. But I don't want to forget this today. I've heard the voice of the Lord from Scripture as much as you have. What what am I going to do about this on Monday? First of all, think about this. Worship. Prioritize worship. Sometimes we think of worship as as a luxury. It's a priority. One of the most important things you could do, and it seems to me, and I, just following Pastor Ben's just uh, rehearsal of just even the renovations of this space and all the work that's gone into it, how quickly it happened, it sounds like you are a people who love to serve. I applaud you. Keep that up. But don't ever forget that, that worship, just, just sitting at the feet of Jesus is so incredibly precious and valuable and important. And in fact, your service is a form of worship. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable form of worship. Prioritize worship. 
Are you devoted to the regular gathering? So glad you're here today. When was the last time we saw you, right? Are you devoted to the regular gathering of God's people consistently? What about preaching, teaching, Bible study, Sunday school, whatever that looks like here in your church community? Are you listening intently? Are you willing to maybe say, you know what, I may not jot down everything that Pastor Ben had to say this week, but I'm going to jot down at least a few ideas and I'm going to work on those. I'm going to talk about those with a, with a brother or sister in Christ this week. I'm going to sit down with my kids and say, hey, this is what we heard today. What are we going to do about it? Are you listening intently? How are you at protecting and maintaining the unity of the Spirit here at Oak Hill Bible Fellowship? Oak Hill Fellowship, excuse me. I keep saying Bible because we got Fairfax Bible Church, right? Are you eager to maintain it? Are you entertaining gossip? Or are you confronting gossip? Are you praying for those that you find yourself in conflict with? Or are you thinking evil thoughts about them? Are you willing to ask forgiveness and admit and confess wrongdoing even before the other does? Maintaining the unity of the Spirit. Do you come with anticipation? by, By that I mean, are you praying for it? Are you praying for, for God to do something powerful? Are you praying for your, your pastors and your elders as they teach God's word to you? You know what? One of the things that, that I remember my, my mentor and pastor saying, you know what? If you don't like my preaching, why don't you pray that my preaching gets better, right? Pray that it gets better. If it's too long, pray it gets shorter. I don't know, something like that too. Pray. Pray for your pastors. I know Pastor Ben, he, he works hard. He's a laborer who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Pray for him in his study. Pray for his family. Pray for one another and anticipate, Lord, I pray that there would be, we we would see the glory of Jesus by faith as we hear your word today. Are you praying and anticipating something? We, as a church, in the month of March, we we were in a prayer campaign for 30 days where we were taking the responsibility that we would pray for at least one person who was far from Jesus and asking, Lord, would you save their soul? And I tell you what, it was amazing. Just, just that regular practice of praying for one, for one person, we started to hear stories of God at work, opening up opportunities and conversations. Are you praying and anticipating for God to move? Asking God for boldness, asking Him to give you a sense of awe as you worship Him. And then, how are you loving one another? How is the Lord calling you to share what you have with one who is in need? Have you begun giving to the work here at at this church? Are you consistently attending small group and and study together and and fellowship together? Is your gospel community visible? Do people see it or are you hiding it under a bushel? Let your light shine. Friends, you've got a beautiful new building. We meet in a middle school auditorium and for a couple of weeks they told us we had to meet in the cafeteria. God showed up. It was awesome, but I have to say I'm a little jealous. You got a great new building. Praise God. What an answer to prayer. But here's the challenge. Will your city just see a building or will they see living stones? Living stones where the presence of the Spirit is on display. Let your light shine, church family. Let it shine. Now, final thing, I promise. I already said I was closing, but final thing is this. We may think to ourselves then, okay, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps and 
I'm going to show power to make disciples. What did I say? Did I say something stupid? I don't know. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Right? Get, get, get strong. Get powerful. You can do this, church family. Friends, I don't care how devoted you are. You do not have the power to live out God's purposes. But there was one who did. One who lived with you as a priority. Romans 5, 6 in the New International Version says this, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, that's where the power comes from. It doesn't come from merely just being devoted to the right things that God wants me to be devoted to. The real power comes because there was one who was devoted to me and devoted to you, and his name is Jesus Christ. The one who was sinless yet became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so if you're questioning here today, I don't know if I have the strength to be about these purposes, look to the one who was devoted to you on the cross and demonstrate his power to rescue you and to save you from sin and death. And if you're here today and you've never, never seen God's purpose for you demonstrated in the devotion and love of Jesus to you. Come talk to an elder, a pastor. I'd be happy to get to know you. We want you to know the power of Jesus through his devotion and love to you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.